0: And this morning, we are kicking off a a brand new sermon series. So we're kicking off a brand new sermon series, and I'm I'm preaching yet another sermon. And as we begin this morning, I just want to admit something to you as a preacher, and that is that I have listened to well over a thousand sermons in my lifetime, and I don't remember much about any of them, okay? Can I just confess that to you? I don't remember much about any of them. When I was growing up, there was a preacher I love, Reverend Dr. Nat Long at my home church. Like when I felt called to preaching, he's what I had in mind. I heard hundreds of sermons from him when I was growing up, and I probably only remember one sermon. It was on Jesus' call to fish for people. And I remember because he gave everybody one of those little pocket spiral bound notebooks, and he said, I want you to keep this notebook and write down people's names and pray for them and encourage them. share Christ with them. And out of all those sermons, that, that's pretty much the only one I remember. And i also confess something else to you as a preacher. I haven't, I haven't preached a thousand sermons in my lifetime, but I've preached hundreds. And you know what? I've forgotten most of what I've said. And usually a few weeks, a few months afterwards, I don't, I, I don't even remember what I, what I preached before. And so people will come up to me and say, Jonathan, years ago, you, you said this in a sermon, and it really... It really touched my life. And I have to take their word for it because usually I don't remember saying that. But, you know, I, I, I take it and I believe them and I, I, I thank them. And so you may wonder, like, okay, well, if, if I forget most sermons I hear, if I forget most sermons I preach, and I'm not going to assume that for you, but I'll just go ahead and say, maybe you don't remember all the sermons either. Like, how, how do I get up here each week and prepare week after week? And I would say it's this. It's my theology of preaching. I, I tend to think of of preaching in the local church week in and week out. Like, I don't know if you remember this in the Old Testament. God gave his people manna to eat. And it was food that he gave them each and every day. And it was food that sustained them for that day, for that moment. And then the next day he gave them more. And manna was a food that it wasn't necessarily something that they remembered about and raved about when they came into the promised land, but it was what they needed for that moment. And so that's kind of how I think of my preaching. My hope is that that as we open up God's word together each week, that God speaks to you, that God meets you, that God encourages you, God challenges you for the, the days and the weeks ahead. But I want to ask you this. Have you ever had an unforgettable meal? Like a steak at a steakhouse that you still remember years later. Or have you ever had bread? Bread before a meal that, that was just unforgettable. Like the bread at the Italian oven in Stockbridge. You know what I'm talking about? Or have you had maybe like like shrimp at a fancy restaurant and you went home and went on YouTube and said, I'm going to try to make this. And like you realize you, you can't make it on your own. It was just one of those unforgettable Meals, maybe, maybe you just had a few of those in your lifetime. Well, well here's what I think Jesus' preaching is like. I think it's like those meals. Jesus' preachings, and particularly his Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, I, I, I think are like those unforgettable, timeless, classic meals that stay with us forever. And, and that's really what I, what I think Jesus' sermon is like. It's not something that, that we receive and then we quickly forget. No, it is a sermon that has challenged and inspired people, believers in Jesus and non-believers in Jesus for generations. And so this summer, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be diving deeper into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And here's the thing is if you forget kind of what I say in these sermons, I'm okay with that. But my hope is that you don't forget Jesus' words, that you don't forget his teachings. Because here, as we open up his sermon together, we are looking at the creator of the universe, the one who designed us. And in this Sermon on the Mount, he is teaching us, he is revealing to us how we are called to live as his people in this world under his rule, under his reign, here and now. And I'll just give you a warning as we dive into this sermon together. This sermon is like like all great preaching. It will comfort the afflicted, and at times it will afflict the comfortable. It's not going to be mashed potatoes that are always easy to eat. Sometimes this is going to be tough stuff to digest. But Jesus' words have power. And if we listen and put them into obedience, I think it has the power to change us, to change our church, to change our community, and change our world. And so we're going to be diving in together. The sermon on the mount is found in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And so, during the season, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. If you own a Bible, bring one to church. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have them at the Welcome Center on the way out. Feel free to grab one. Um, or there's a great app. It's, it's one of the most downloaded apps in the App Store of all time. It's called the Bible app. That's it. And it is an amazing app that has the Bible in many different translations. You can even get a reading plan to help you with the Sermon on the Mount. So, I encourage you, download that, bring your Bible with you as we dive deeper into these teachings of Jesus. And, and here's what I'll say. I've, I've been recovering from a sickness this week. And many times as I was, I was sick and I was writing this sermon, I thought, I should just read Jesus' sermon this week, right? I should just read the Sermon on the Mount. When you read the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, it's only about 18 minutes long, okay? But I, but I didn't do that. We're gonna, we're gonna go through it chunk by chunk this summer, but because it only takes about 18 to 20 minutes to, to read through I'd encourage you each week to to read the sermon once a week this summer. Let it get deep in you. Let it begin to form you and your soul. So if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open up Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 to 2. Here's what Matthew tells us. He says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Sometimes we just skip over these little introductory verses, but uh, this morning, I'm going I'm I'm to be biblical while I preach. I'm going to sit down like Jesus. You know, he, he sat while he preached, so I can, I can sit, sit while I preach. But, but sometimes we just skip over these verses, and we just kind of, okay, let's, let's move forward. But, but I think here, Jesus, or not Jesus, here, Matthew Uh, the writer of this gospel, he's telling us some important things to set this sermon up. And the first thing he's telling us is who Jesus is talking to, the audience this sermon is addressing. And he says that he's mainly teaching his disciples who came to him, but also there are crowds of people who are also surrounding the disciples who are kind of listening in on these teachings from Jesus. And when we're reading the Bible, it's also important to take into context. So we look at Matthew chapter 4, right before this, we get an image of who these people are in the crowds. And what we find is that that there are people who are sick. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are generally poor, kind of down and out. People who are curious about this guy, Jesus. And so they've begun following him. They've begun crowding around him to see who this rabbi, who this teacher is and miracle worker is Jesus has begun begun to proclaim repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand and they want to know more about this so that that's the audience that's who Jesus is teaching who is teaching we know that Jesus and and we know Jesus is the son of God he he is the author of the universe he is one of the members of the trinity father son and holy spirit so we need to listen to the one who's teaching us but then there's also this other detail that jesus goes up on a mountainside to teach them and now sometimes you kind of think of like the rocky mountains kind of like you know that little image in our sermon graphic is like high peaked mountain very steep and you're like, how are people sitting on this mountain? How does that work? But, but I want you to picture the Rocky Mountains instead. It's more like the rolling hills, you know, uh, uh, of this area of Georgia. That's what it's like along the Sea of Galilee. And you can actually go to where it's traditionally thought Jesus taught this sermon, at the Mount of the Beatitudes. So there are gentle rolling hills there by the seashore. And I think Matthew tells us this detail, that Jesus was teaching on a mountainside, not as much for geographical purposes, but... I think more so for theological purposes. I think he's trying to to get our minds to jump back to the Old Testament to another person who went up on a mountainside, to Moses. To Moses who went up on the mountainside and God gave him the law. God gave him God's law for God's people, a way for them to live and to flourish in the world. And what Matthew is doing here is he's telling us now we have a new Moses. We have one who is greater than Moses, who is giving a new law to God's people, not negating the past, but fulfilling the past and fulfilling Israel's story. So here he's saying we need to pay attention to what is happening and what Jesus is teaching God's people and how to live in the world. And so here Matthew's setting everything up for us And then here's how Jesus begins his sermon in verse 3. Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the passage we're going to look at today. And really, this is like Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And now Jesus is a great preacher, so he knows that introductions and first words of a message matter, right? And here Jesus doesn't start with a joke. He doesn't start with a poem. He doesn't start with like a a funny video clip or a news story. Instead, he starts by just proclaiming the truth of the types of people who are blessed by God. And he starts by painting a picture of what a blessed life looks like. My guess is that, that that day when Jesus was teaching, his disciples and the crowds were listening, and my guess is there were kind of two different types of people who, who heard what he said. My guess is some people in that audience were comforted by Jesus' words. I mean, think about the audience. Some of these people that had very difficult lives. There were a lot of poor people. There were a lot of people who were grieving, sickness, loss of loved ones, just grieving the sin in the world. There were were a lot of people who were kind of at the bottom of society, who who were down and out, who were used to being stepped upon. There, There were a lot of people, never in their lives had they been told they were blessed by God. Instead, most of their lives, these people who were listening in were told that they were likely cursed by God. But here Jesus says, you, many of you who are listening, he says, you are blessed by God. And you know, that was like, that was like a balm for their souls. For those who are weary, I mean, that was, that was comforting when Jesus says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are children of God. You are blessed. But then I think there were other people who were listening to these words of Jesus and who are a little skeptical of him at this point. Not everybody here listening in the crowds were, were believers. And so some people, they're coming to Jesus and they're thinking, really, Jesus? Really, you're telling us these are the type of people who are blessed? I mean, these are people who, they didn't, they didn't hear their state in life listed in this list of blessings that Jesus gave. And, and this thing that Jesus is doing is saying blessed are these type of people This was a common form of rhetoric. This wasn't something Jesus invented. And so some of these people, they had heard all their life from other teachers that they were blessed. And so there's people who are listening. They're thinking, I'm blessed. People tell me I'm blessed. I feel blessed. And yet Jesus isn't naming my situation in life. And so what's going on here? Maybe this guy doesn't really know what he's talking about. And my guess is in the room today, this morning, that there are kind of two types of listeners. Like when you heard these Beatitudes read, there, there are people of you here who are comforted by these words. They kind of give you strength and solace. But then I think there are others of us, and I'll include myself here a lot of the times, that, that when we hear these Beatitudes read is what they're commonly known as. When we hear the Beatitudes read, they make us a little uncomfortable. They make us a little uncomfortable because, I mean, if you're like me, you grew up in this culture This isn't really the picture of the blessed life that our world tells us. Our world typically paints a very different picture of what a blessed life looks like. And I'll say this, a lot of churches paint a different picture of what a blessed life looks like than what Jesus is talking about here. So I'll I'll just uh, throw something out there for the older adults in the room. Do you know what a hashtag is? Okay, if you don't, I know you're not going to raise your hand. It's a pound sign and then a word. People put it on social media, and if you click on it, you can find other pictures and posts with that kind of category and theme. So one of the most common hashtags, it's very common, millions of posts on it, is hashtag blessed, right? I don't know if you know this. You can search hashtag blessed on Instagram, and you will see pictures like these. I went this week. These are all public, so I don't feel bad putting these on the screen, but... Here, when I looked up hashtag #blessed, here, here's what I saw. I saw a guy with a nice car, maybe like an Audi, in the top picture. I mean, it's a pretty sweet ride. Then there's a vintage car. Then you have the house with the pool. I mean, that just looks so nice today to have that house right now and just chilling by the pool. Later, you have the young couple, two dogs, beautiful home. Hashtag #blessed. And you have my favorite is just somebody who posted a picture of just stacks of cash. You know. No shame. No shame. If that's you this morning, uh, we we have giving boxes on the way out, okay? Um, But like, you know, no shame. They're just like hashtag blessed, right? This is the picture of a blessed life that our world tells us. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this stuff. I'm just saying like this is the image a lot of us have when it comes to what blessings look like and what the blessed life looks like and so it's a little challenging when Jesus here says actually the blessed life looks like this. And when we hear what Jesus is naming here when we think really the meek are blessed the the peacemakers are blessed the humble those who mourn like like that's the blessed life we think no that's not the blessed life those are people who get stepped on in life. Those are people who get trampled upon who don't get promotions those are people who get demoted and pushed to the edge of society and the edge of friend groups. And so it can be easy for us to think like, does Jesus really know what he's talking about here? Because we, we've received a very different picture of blessings from our culture. Somebody, I came across it this week, wrote actually modern-day Beatitudes. They said, you know what, if our culture was kind of doing what Jesus did, proclaiming what the blessed life looks like, here's what they would say. Blessed are the powerful, for they will control the people. Blessed are the greedy, For they will gain extravagance. Blessed are the comfortable, for they will want for nothing. Blessed are the apathetic, for they can look the other way. Blessed are the corrupt, for they will get their way and not get caught. This is how it feels like our world operates sometimes, right? So I think what Jesus is doing here at the very outset of the Sermon on the Mount is just to say the people who are listening to him and following him. My kingdom, my world, when you're living with me at the top of your life and following my will and my way, my kingdom looks very different than this world. My way of life is very countercultural than what you will be told on a regular basis. And this is a theme that's going to come up over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to say, look, if you're going to live with me as king, things are going to be different. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, look, these are people who are blessed by God. Not necessarily celebrated by the world, but these are people who are blessed by God. These are people who experience his power, his presence, his favor, and his grace in their lives. And some of you here this morning, when you read... When you heard these Beatitudes read, and when you maybe you've heard them before, like, you know what Jesus is talking about because you've experienced these blessings. You've found yourself poor in spirit. You you've you've been in life trying to do things on your own, realize you couldn't, and every time you try harder, you just screw things up. And you've just said, you know what, God, I, I can't do it. I need you. You've come to the end of yourself, you've been poor in spirit, and you've found that at the end of yourself is the beginning of new life in Christ and being a citizen in His kingdom. Some of you in here, you've mourned. You've grieved the loss of loved ones, the loss of dreams in your life. You have grieved the sin and lamented the brokenness around us, and so you have experienced the comfort that comes from God when we get honest and real with him. Some of you, you have been peacemakers in a world that loves controversy and division and fighting. You've been peacemakers, and you found that although you might not have been celebrated by the world, you found that you have God's loving approval and that you are his child. Some of you, you you've been comforted by these words because you found that although you haven't always been celebrated by the world, that these blessings and this type of life Jesus is talking about is greater than anything the world can offer and greater than any of those pictures on Instagram and this morning maybe maybe you're here and and you kind of have always pictured the blessed life as as everything the world tells us or maybe you feel like you haven't experienced these blessings from God before or maybe you feel like the life you're living just isn't isn't blessed by God If that's you, I'd say this. I think Jesus here is not only describing what the blessed life looks like, I think he's also beckoning us. He's calling us to become these types of people. And ultimately what he's doing is he's calling us to become more like himself. Because if you look at the Beatitudes... One person pointed this out to me. I'd never seen it before. They said, really? If you look at the Beatitudes, they paint a picture of Jesus Christ. They're an autobiography of Jesus. I mean, let's just go through them. Jesus was poor in spirit. That is, he was fully dependent on God and God's spirit to empower him in his life. Jesus mourned. He mourned the death of his friend Lazarus. He mourned the sins of this world. Jesus was meek. Another time that's translated to describe Jesus as gentle, humble in heart. He was always lifting up others above himself. Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Jesus was merciful. Think about in those final moments of his life, that thief on the cross. He didn't deserve mercy, but Jesus gave him what he didn't deserve. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was pure in heart. He was single-mindedly focused on God's mission. Jesus was a peacemaker. His ultimate act of peace was laying down his very life. Jesus was persecuted and his persecution opened up the kingdom of heaven for you and for me. And, And think about this, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, no one in the crowd pointed and said, that's the blessed life. People said, that's a cursed man. But three days later when Jesus rose from the grave, all of his teachings were vindicated. And people saw that things in God's kingdom operate differently. And what might look like curses... And not blessings in this world, in God's kingdom and in God's economy, and through the power of the resurrection, everything can be transformed. Jesus, when we look back now through the lens of the resurrection, we see was the most blessed man to ever walk this earth. But a lot of people missed it. Because they had a different image of what the blessed life looks like. And I'll tell you this, that when we become more like Christ, we too will experience blessings. We will experience the blessed life that he talks about here. The world may not call us blessed, but God will. And this isn't something that we can do with our own power. I'm not saying, you know what, hey, let's just try harder this week. No, all of this happens by the power of God's Spirit at work within us, transforming us from the inside out. And some theologians throughout church history have thought of the Beatitudes as actually a ladder, like rungs on a ladder of Christ-likeness. And so if you think about the bottom rung on the ladder, you have to start with the bottom one. I think it's here in in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Another way to think about it is blessed are those who realize they're helpless. Blessed are those who realize they can't do it on their own. They can't save themselves. They can't forgive their own sins. They need a Savior. They need God. They need Jesus. Blessed are those people for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven that's where it begins realizing we need God's power in us so my challenge this week is as we seek to be a blessed church and to live a blessed life is is for you to read the Beatitudes read these verses maybe once a day read through them and say Holy Spirit would you help transform me and ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify which one of these you need to grow in the most. Maybe it's it's being more meek, being humble and gentle in a world that prizes loud and rowdy. Maybe it's being willing to be persecuted and stand up and speak difficult truths. Maybe it's it's being a a peacemaker. Maybe maybe you're in a season right now where you're just like, I'm just kind of going through the motions, and I come to church, but I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm just here. Maybe you want to say, Holy Spirit, would you help me hunger and thirst for righteousness? Help me hunger and thirst for Jesus and to become more like him. Just, just say, God, I don't have the desire. Would you give me the desire? This week, ask the Holy Spirit, would you help me become more like Jesus and become blessed by you? This is what the early church did. The early church studied the Beatitudes. They read the Sermon on the Mount together. And in his book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, historian and theologian, Alan Crider, he says, he says this. He says the early church took Jesus' Sermon on the Mount very seriously. And a lot of times when people were preparing for baptism back then, they would prepare for one to three years before they were baptized. And the Sermon on the Mount was their curriculum. They would study the Sermon on the Mount. They would study the Ten Commandments. They would study the creeds. And during that time, after one to three years, the the leaders in the church would say, does your life look like what Jesus is describing? And and Crider and other theologians argue that one of the reasons why the early church That started as a fledgling group of people, that really fought against all odds, that, that experienced so much persecution. One of the key reasons to the explosive growth of the early church was because they learned from Jesus. But they didn't just learn from Jesus, they sought to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. And as they did, they began to be transformed as a people. And they began to transform the world around them. And I believe that if revival is going to come in our day, that if there is going to be awakening in our church, in our community, in our country, that God is calling us to do the same thing, to learn from Jesus and to live like him and to love like him. And I believe if we do, we will begin to see God work in ways that we can only dream of or imagine. And So as we start this journey through the Sermon on the Mount, I want to invite us to bow our heads and pray together and ask God to bless us, ask God to make us more like Christ so that we can be light and salt to a world that is desperate and thirsty. Heavenly Father, we don't have it within ourselves to change ourselves, to fix ourselves or fix this world. God, we have so often tried and failed. And So this morning, we come as a church, poor in spirit, before you, saying we are helpless without you. We are helpless. We are in need of your grace. We are in need of your mercy. We are in need of your love, and we want to say thank you that you pour out your grace and mercy freely. Thank you that when we come to the end of ourselves, you are there to meet us, to sustain us, to strengthen us. And God, this week, we pray that you would begin the renewal of our minds to to, to change the way we think about blessings and what the blessed life looks like. And God, we pray that you would help us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be peacemakers, to be meek, to be humble people who are led by you. God, we know that you are willing and able. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us this morning, would fill this place, and God, that everything wouldn't stay here, but that it would have a ripple effect outward, and that we would be a people who impact this community, this country, and this world. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, the great teacher and our savior. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand and worship with us in our closing song?